This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 44, Building a Portfolio of Bank-on-Yourself Policies for the Whole Family. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Oh man, this is going to be such an awesome episode. I am psyched. This is going to get crazy up in here. In fact, if you're allergic to nuts, you might not want to do this one because this is going to include some nutty material here. So welcome everybody to another financial uh, podcast, not your average financial podcast. I'm Mark Willis. With me in the studio is Holly Bach. Hello, everyone. And Katrina Willis. Hi there. All right. So we talk a lot about being and thinking like a banker. And it's the banker's mindset that really changes everything and when the lights really come on for many of our clients. But what does a banker actually want? Um, What does a banker think about all day long? A banker is thinking about and um, his mindset is focused on accumulating wealth. He doesn't mind capitalization. He doesn't mind that that problem of saving, which is so hard for most Americans, uh, because he knows that that's going to be the fuel he'll use, right? That's That's the inventory of a banker is dollars in the vault. And that's the money he'll be able to use, put to work to loan out to customers. And in turn is what is going to generate those profits. That's the interest that the customers have to pay back. I want us to really get that today. I will really want you to focus in on that. Uh, He does not save only to let it sit, soak and sour inside the bank vault. Right? I grew up watching Scrooge McDuck. If you guys know that caricature, Uh, you know, this is money that's kept in motion. As soon as that money is in the vault, he's thinking about ways to pull it out again and to get some more money on it. You know, the vault is really just a way station for his money before it goes out into the world again. And that money, uh, the more money he has in that vault, the more money he's capitalized, the more money that money can make. Uh, And similarly, once that vault gets full or when, let's say, you know, um, new suburbs are being built down the street, Uh, That's when the banker mindset goes into full gear, right? Uh, That's when he's thinking about opening another location, another bank branch down the street or across town or across the country. So how does that metaphor, guys, uh, translate into our cash value accumulation inside life insurance policies for the function of banking? Well, I would say that we have a we we certainly have a number of clients that are able to kind of get this mindset and they they start to think of themselves like a banker. And as they do that, we start to get these questions of, you know, oh, well, you know, what do I do now? I'm already fully, you know, fully funding this policy as much as I can. Well, what do I do now? And so just imagine you not only have one of these policies, but you have two or four or 40 I mean, it's it's all possible. And so most people don't know that that's possible, but it is. And you can really have as many life insurance policies on your own life and on those that are close to you as the insurance company will approve you for. There's really no like limit out there that's set by the state or the government saying, you know, no one individual can have more than 10 life insurance policies. Like that's not a thing. You could have a hundred if you could get approved for it. Um, And, you know, really these could all function for different purposes, not only in your life, but then also in your business as well. So um, certainly possible to kind of have this greater system of policies 
um, within that. And so what you know system typically works best when people are looking to establish this kind of system, they're, they're trying to figure out how they can get their vault as big as possible, save as much as possible. And typically when we have clients that we're working with that they really get this and they're really looking to um, you know, eliminate banks and be their own source of financing, that um, some sort of relationship-oriented system typically works best. Okay, And so uh, we've kind of nicknamed it the, the family network method. And essentially kind of how that works is, you know, Every member in the family gets a policy and their long term policies that, um, you know, could be paid for in, in a variety of different ways. It's up to each family to kind of decide what they want their system to look like. But um, that's what we've seen has worked really, really well. And so, Mark, I know that you have a client that's kind of adopted this method. Right. Yeah, we'll get, dive into a couple scenarios there. And it really does. Each client, it really depends on what their goal is. Do they want to accumulate cash during their lifetime? Do they want that big pool of contingency capital to use for investing in real estate? Or maybe do they want to maximize the use of their dollar to leverage their own life, their own, their own personal biological life, their own greatest gift that they could leave to their family? A lump sum of money may be more than they could ever save, right? Which is what a death benefit does. You know, every single dollar I pay leaves a family more than I could ever save. Unfortunately, until we meet with folks to ask them what they want to do with their money, and what they want their money to do for them, they go on putting their money into things just because other people told them to do so. Hey, it's time to open that 401k to be that good, responsible adult. And they just follow kind of without thinking about it. Not because they've thought through what they want their money to do for them, but because other people are telling them to do so. Right. So most people in the United States and in the West tend to bifurcate their finances from everyone else. You know, I have my individual bank account. I have my own little silo. My brother has his silo. My sister has her silo. Um, if you go to the East, they're much more family-oriented and they're much more group-oriented. And so in the Eastern cultures, you see a lot more of this dynamic and play, whereas here, we have to talk about it a little more. We keep our savings secret. We keep our credit card debt secret. And it's not until it's made news that we that my brother-in-law went through bankruptcy or something like that, that it all comes out in the, in the wash. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so sad. I, I feel like that secrecy, that financial isolation, who is that really benefiting? Well, it's the banks. The, banks. Yeah. <laughs> the banking institutions love the fact that Americans have not woken up to the fact that we are all slaves to their business model. But what if we could break free, guys? Is there a way? Yeah, and I mean, what if you could, as a family, not just as an individual now, you know, so we've talked about breaking free as an individual, but what about breaking free as a family from the banking industry? I mean, not only would it help you build a financial platform for you to fall on in the case something did go wrong, but it also helps keep your wealth in the family um, through estate purposes. I mean, and you you look at these, you know, historically wealthy families and, you know, it's like, how did they keep it all in the family? How did they keep that generational wealth going? Um, You know, how did someone not just blow it all? And, you know, some of them did, but but it's it's through life insurance, mm-hmm. but you know we'll mm-hmm. we'll get into that later. But um, let me yeah, say it's that certainly it's, possible. Let me say that it couples with education uh, because the tool could be misused. You know, mm-hmm. I could until I teach my ch- children how to swing an axe, I'm not going to let them just play with it. You know, so we're going to teach how to use this tool alongside the tool itself. And you're exactly right. The wealthy have always used life insurance. Interestingly, cash value life insurance, and if. If, you know, brother-in-law is in debt with credit cards, wouldn't it be an incredible family bonding experience for us, all of us, to just help him pay off those credit cards and 
educate him to never go into credit card debt ever again, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we do have several clients. Uh, one in particular comes to my mind uh, who sat down with me, shared how much he wanted to start a bank on yourself policy. Uh, but in the process, we did find out that he was uninsurable. Uh, you know, he was so determined, however, to save money and things that would be safe and predictable for his whole family and to leave them an inheritance when he passed away, we figured out another way to do it. So even though he was not allowed to buy insurance on his own life, um, he had some other ideas and we came up with some pretty cool strategies. He decided to start his family banking strategy. I mean, it was really beautiful. Uh, his, with his funds, with his money, he purchases policies on each one of his kids and his grandkids. Altogether, now they have about 12 policies between everybody. Not one on him because he's uninsurable, but he's giving that gift to them. He's the owner of those policies today. And one day he'll leave those policies to his adult children when he passes away. He knows that that guaranteed predictable number uh, is going to continue to grow and he'll know precisely what they'll, he'll be leaving his kids each and every year. And if anyone in that family has a need for maybe a loan, credit cards, you know, maybe they were needing a new car, they're not going to go to the lending institution down the street. Why in the world would they do that? Why would they let money leak out of their family wealth reserve? You need a car? Come to the bank of mom and dad. Need to go to college, grandkiddo? Yep, come to the bank of grandma, grandpa. And when mom and dad pass on, the money moves to the adult children and they take over those massive death benefits and then roll it right into their policies. And then the grandkids receive it from the adult children and on and on and on it goes. We're talking about at least four generations into the future. And that's what long-term financial wealth pres preservation for the wealthy uh, is all about and how it, how it works so simply. So you can even set up a trust, right? So one, educate them. Two, get the right tools. And three, have a living trust maybe that ensures that the instructions that grandma and grandpa have are, you know, played out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we have several clients that have kind of adopted this strategy in some some way or another, some to different extremes. Right. Sure. You know, yeah. so mm -hmm. we've had a couple that have really gone like head first into it and others that um, are still adopting the same strategy, though, where they're, sh you know, they start policies on themselves. They share it with their children and then their children get policies and that sort of thing. And um, we have another client as well who's kind of adopted this same idea, this idea of getting the whole family involved and in, like getting every single family Member a policy. And really, you know, they saw the value in this concept and they wanted to make sure that every single kid and every grandkid of theirs had a policy. So um, this other client, you know, couple that we worked with, they started policies on each and every single one, um, not necessarily because they were uninsurable at, you know, themselves, but because they wanted to make sure that each of their kids were insured and mm -hmm. to um, kind of preserve that insurability of, of each one of their children and also their grandchildren. So they actually started this years ago when just their very own kids were young, um, you know, maybe five or younger. We're talking 10, 20 years ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, forever, you know, a long time ago. And now, it now as the next generation's coming up, they're actually starting this new round of buying policies and starting policies um, as their kids are starting to have kids. Cool. So now it's gotten to kind of to the point where it's their grandkids now that they're, um, you know, 
buying these policies for and setting up these policies for. And so their their plan is really for these policies to be used by their children and their grandchildren for college or down payments on their homes or to help them out of any you know financial hardships that come up. Um, but really, I've, I've run the numbers for this couple and I've looked at it and they're going to do so much more than just help them with college, you know, because that was their primary concern with the grandkids. They wanted to pay for, you know, you start a policy to pay for college for the grandkids. So they're like, okay, we want to make sure there's going to be kind of a ballpark number of this amount by the time each one of these grandkids is um, 18. I mean, and they're starting these policies when they're like two months old. <laughs> I mean, wow. like as soon as they're born, it's like, all right, Holly, start the application. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they're they're kind of trying to get this amount, but it's like, okay, yeah, they're going to have X number of dollars by their 18, but it's almost kind of like, whoop-de-doo, who cares when you look at how much they're going to have at age 60. And How much the grandchildren are going to have. The grandchildren wow. will have. And yeah. we're talking small premiums. I mean, yeah. they're not like, you know, packing crazy cash into these things. It's just mm-hmm. slow and steady over a lifetime ends up, you know, yeah. compound interest over a lifetime is just wow. incredible. Wow. And so it's like, well, yes. Okay. Congratulations. You're going to, you know, leave this much to your kid, your grandchild, sorry, for um, college, but <laughs> almost even more impressively, you're going to leave them like a million dollars for retirement. Like, that's also pretty great. And yeah. if they don't use it for themselves, they're going to be leaving like $4 million to their kids. Yeah. And it's just incredible, like that generational wealth, like we were talking about. Um, I mean, when the time does come that, you know, the, you know, these, this couple, you know, is older, that is their plan that these policies will be passed on to the next generation as well. Um, they might, you know, gift the policies to them. They'll become the owners of the policies and that sort of thing. And they are hoping, you know, that they'll, conti- that next generation will continue the cycle of using the family bank, um, you know, as it were, instead of just traditional banks. And I actually also kind of ran the numbers um, as well for this, and it's just staggering how much money just three generations um, could save by not financing financing or would spend on financing. I mean, you think about three generations and I mean, it's just millions, millions upon millions of dollars that would otherwise just go down the tubes. Per family across the country. That's why banks are just filthy rich. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're, they're sitting, sitting pretty nice. Probably about the only people that are sitting pretty nice at this point in our country. And, um, you know, and, and so you just think about you know, that family dynamic, what if we can keep all that wealth inside the family? What if we cycled those millions of dollars through this family instead of just, you know, paying it to someone else and making someone else's family rich? Um, and so, I mean, just think about, you know, when you when you look at that, you know, that's what this family gets excited about. And, you know, talk about leaving a legacy <laughs> to a family. Yeah. If we're talking about legacy. It's not just about the actual dollars you pass on, but the mentality, the education that you pass on, like you mentioned, Mark, um, which is just so incredible. And I know that something that always strikes me, and I'll hear this from people, and I always kind of have to wonder about the context. Typically, it's not in a client context. It's more like you're interacting with someone like you know, on the weekend, friend, relative, whatever. Um, and they'll make these comments, and it always strikes me, and they'll say something along the lines of, you know, that their their family better be saving because they're not leaving anything behind when they go. Or, you know, you're I'm going to be spending all my money, so you better not be banking on getting anything. And I have, I, I just I don't know the answer, but I sometimes it just makes me pause and wonder like, w- what is making them them say that, you know, yeah. to their family. And I I think if I were to you know, come up with a theory myself that it comes from like a place of misunderstanding 
what it takes to leave a legacy, right? And I think the mentality or the, or sorry, not the mentality, but the idea that people think in their heads is that, oh, it's going to cost me a ton of money to leave money to my family, right? They're thinking that they have to save that much more. They're like, I'm going to be lucky if I can make it through my retirement, much less leaving something behind. Like what? You're crazy. But really when it's done, you know, through life insurance in this way, I mean, you can leave your family money by default. It's easy. It's you know, easy. It's easy. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, I accidentally just left like hundreds of thousands of dollars to my family. Like yeah. it just happens. That's, you know, it's not something. Yeah. yeah. It's not something you have to like work hard at even necessarily. It's like, hey, with the life insurance policy, you can be saving for yourself, taking care of yourself, preparing for your own retirement. And then oh, oops, I passed away, you know, two years early. Guess my family just got more than they should have. But, you know, I I don't think that any of these people that make these comments, I hope not, it's not actually malicious and it's not that they wouldn't like to leave something to their family. It's just that they feel like they can't. And if that's the case, you can. You can. You can. And And it's easy. And no, it doesn't have to be millions of dollars, but even just like 50 grand to cover your funeral, cover those funeral expenses, cover any final medical bills, like... Just getting that stuff wrapped up for your family is just a huge gift. Also, sorry, we're getting into like estate planning stuff, which I know we will do another episode on. But it's like there you hear these stories, these people that they have a, a parent or grandparent that passes away and they have to take like months off work to to deal with all that. And it's like you're leaving them. You know, you may be leaving them nothing or you're leaving them with debt and they're having to take a month off work, which is no income for them. And it's like. You not only didn't leave them a financial benefit, you just hurt them. You left a bad you know? taste in their mouth. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> Want like, that to be your last uh, last legacy? No. Yeah. And that's what's sad. Um, and so I don't know if you guys have ever heard those comments or what you guys you know, you know, uh, might think be a reason for it. One but. of the things that, to just get to your point and, and on the comment of, you know, leaving a legacy. And then Katrina, I know you have a story of a, another person that uh, we all here know and love to tell. Um, but, you know, sometimes when I'm in a workshop or I'm teaching, I'll sometimes ask the room to raise their hand if they know and can uh, expect a inheritance of somewhere between half a million and a million dollars. I just ask anyone in the room, please raise your hand. We won't call you out. We won't tell you what it is or where you're going to send the check. Uh, but, you know, how many in the room are going to get that big inheritance? And almost nobody ever raises their hand, maybe one in a, in, in a room of 100 what if we lived in a world where it was just part of the necessary and expected um, result of a parent passing that you were going to get half a million to a million bucks? You know, this was the case 100 years ago when we would have homesteads, right? When we knew that the farm, the family farm was going to be given to the adult children. Now we don't have family farms, but we can still use life insurance to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, Katrina, tell us a little bit about, a little bit about our good friend uh, Tim and how he's used a system of policies in uh, in his life. Yeah, so Tim is a friend and a colleague of ours who, back in 1993, saw the power of using whole life insurance, the way we talk about it, for building wealth and achieving life's financial milestones without taking unnecessary risks. He'd come out of the Wall Street world and wanted something more sane. He began to notice in his client conversations that the older and wiser and more affluent the couple, the more likely they were to be big savers inside of whole life insurance contracts. Whereas the younger and, quote, savvier families were putting all their eggs in the Wall Street basket. 
they'd be, they'd be pushed, excuse me, they'd be putting as much as they could into a 401k. And meanwhile, they'd have to take out loans to go on vacation, get a home down payment, send the kids to college. It didn't, it just didn't match Tim's mind. What did grandma know that we all forgot? He developed a roadmap of financial milestones for himself and for his clients. He asked, how many cars would they buy over a lifetime? How many kids will you have? What will the larger home cost 15 years from now? How much would college cost his kids by the time they were ready to graduate? There were predictable expenses and milestones that he could plan his financial life around. And then he made a plan to save for those financial milestones and decided after much research that the whole life insurance designed for maximum cash accumulation, what we now call bank on yourself, was the perfect savings vehicle. Yeah, you're right, Katrina. I mean, uh, he created actually a little uh, roadmap for himself and his family. He created a chart that assumed some pay increases for him and his wife. And using those pay increases, he'd use those dollars to fund additional policies. Recently, someone won the Nobel Prize for uh, the idea of saving more tomorrow, where every pay raise, you just automatically put that into something like a investment vehicle or a 401k, or in this case, a whole life policy. So like a good banker, he was just not going to be afraid to capitalize his bank vault. He knew the more he put and could pack into his system of policies, the more he could use it for him and his family and his business needs. So again, in the show notes, we'd, we'd love to show this to you. There's a, a chart of the life financial milestones for the Tim Austin family here. And starting in 1993, at age 30, Tim started his first policy, putting a thousand bucks a month into it. And he financed a car for Tim at $25,000. And it shows the cash value at the end of the first period of $48,500. And the death benefit was approaching, not quite, uh, uh, $700,000. And then in the second five-year period from 1998 to 2002, Tim starts a second policy for another six grand a year. So a total of 1,500 bucks a month or 18,000 a year. Now he's financing another car for himself and one for his wife and they have a total of $157,000 in cash value. So you can kind of look at this chart. I'm giving you the first part of it here. But as you go through the years, uh, by you know current year 2018, he'd have, in this case, he'd have you know uh, many policies in force. I think he'd planned on having five at that point. Uh, he was financing his kids' weddings that he didn't, when he drew this plan up, he didn't even have children. Uh, and he knew by nature of whole life insurance, he knew that he'd have $1.2 million in cash value and a $3 million death benefit. So he knew this way back in the early 90s. So he was planning this thing out. I mean, here's a guy <laughs> who has his whole life planned. Sorry for the pun there. Whole life planned <laughs> from day one. It's incredible. He also has the gift of precision. Like yes, he, he does. Yeah. He was able to see, okay, I'm going to have this number of kids and it's, college is going to cost this much when they get yeah, to that right, point. Right, right, right. Well, and he's actually quite right. I've been amazed at the, the, how he planned and what's actually happened and what's, um, it's in sync. You know, it's completely in sync. It's really stunning. Well, and, and there were a few things that he wasn't aware of. One, of course, of he course. had an extra kiddo that he didn't plan Whoops. on. Whoops. And <laughs> also he accidentally has 19 policies now, not just five. So, you know, that, that is, you know, uh, a, a funny accident, I guess. So something special begins to happen when you begin to think like a banker. You start to see the real power of this strategy of a system of policies. You begin to find ways to save more than you ever thought possible. And so, you know, he's got policies on himself, his wife, his kids, his business partners, and more. He has two policies earmarked for car purchases. He has policies set up for his kids' weddings. 
He has four policies set aside just to pay for kids' college expenses, others for near-term cash emergencies, and still more set aside for real estate investing, business continuation, and, of course, retirement. Yeah, he's got uh, one policy for each of his kids, obviously. Uh, He has had some trouble, though. One of his children, unfortunately, uh, one of his sons was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, of course, that was devastating, very stressful for them. But now, unfortunately, that means his son will be uninsurable in the future. So, you know, thank God uh, Tim bought a policy on his son right when he was born. Uh, So he could take that policy and give his son the promise of protection for his son's family someday. And hopefully many, many, many decades from now. But his son already has $29,000 in cash value. And when his son's old enough to handle it, Tim is going to give it to him as a gift. And that's just incredible. I mean, he's used it for some real estate purchases in the midst of the 2008 crisis. You know, when I think about Tim, uh, it makes me think of Katrina, you and me, when we started our first two policies. You know, we never thought we'd be able to put in more than we did. We really stretched ourselves to get those first two going. Uh, But now that we've got those two going, it's almost like a breeze. We don't even notice it, right? I mean, month over month over month, it just kind of leaves our bank account and goes into something we control. Uh, So we have, on average, opened a new policy every single year since we've started this process. I never thought that'd be possible. Our goal is to continue to save about 30% of our income into these accounts every year, using that 10-10-10 rule we talked about in a previous episode. And we'll put more into risky investments if we can, but the point isn't to be, you know, uh, like us. Don't take me as an example. Don't take Tim or these other families. But the point is to start where you can, with what you can. You know, we did, Katrina and I did, and we're so thankful for it. You know, so be a good banker. And like a good banker, you just want as many bank branches out there as you possibly can. So take this to heart. Take some time. Think like a banker. And let's talk. We'd be happy to sit down and have a free financial consultation with you to help you think different about money. That's what our meetings are all about with our one-on-one client appointments. And that's what this podcast is all about. And so thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.